we are continuing this uh, kind of three-week mini-series, and we we're looking at kind of what we're about as a church. We have uh, our statement in our Welcome Center, uh, equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. <clears throat> so last week, we'll, uh, Will really honed in on that equipping piece, and uh, I, I had an entirely different sermon planned, um, but I realized... I won't go into all of that, but just that equipping followers of Jesus peace. Suddenly I just, yeah, I really think the Holy Spirit just said, like, you need to stop and just, like, think about the, the following Jesus peace, right? Followers of Jesus and just go this morning to just the absolute kind of core basic, if you just stripped everything, well, yeah, if you stripped everything away, like, where does this whole Christianity thing begin? Um, I don't know if you've, you know, paid attention to this, but um, we, we're, it's like with our movies or television shows, like, you know, when I was a kid, you would maybe get like a sequel or a trilogy if you're lucky of some movie you liked. But today it's like you get like uh, multiple movies and like a 20-hour TV show and then like another 10-hour thing about the origin story of the main character. Like, another, you know, we keep, we go deep and deep and deep and deep with our stories today. But the origin story is interesting because... You know, uh, usually when we tell these stories in our movies today, we, we eventually go back to that origin. Like, where did that person come from? What was their story and et cetera and so forth. I kind of want to go to our origin story, if you will, as Christianity. I'm going to get a, a, a tinge bit nerdy. So, um, sorry, but not that bad. Okay, so just bear with me. But I'm going to like try to go to the very beginning, okay, and and just say, you know, what was it like for those very first, we call them Christians today, we call, you know, people who, you know, follow Jesus Christians today, but that wasn't the, the titles used at the very beginning, right? Um, I'm going to go back to that, that very early time and try to understand what exactly was going on. And I think what's going to happen as we do so is going to help inform us today as a church just at the very core, right? If we're equipping followers of Jesus, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I do not want to take for granted if you've been in the church your whole life or you're kind of new to this thing that you really grasp in a biblical context. This is a 2,000-year-old book. It was not written in English, okay? Uh, St. Paul did not talk in King James language, all right? Um, it is an old faith. It is an ancient faith. Okay, Jesus was born in a place called Nazareth 2,000 years ago within a practicing religion of Judaism that was already 1,000 plus or so years old, okay? This is an old, old thing that we're involved in here, okay? So let's go back to, you know, the beginning. Kind of the questions, I, 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 the why I'm doing this is, I'm kind of convinced that as we try to practice this Christianity, as we try to engage this, that Jesus really truly isn't kind of like the, the sun, the, the, that's a cheesy pun, but you know, like the sun kind of spins all these planets in orbit because it's so massive, it's so heavy, and it's, it's gravitational pull just spins everything in orbit. And kind of the questions I'm going to be asking is, is he really truly the center of our life that kind of helps spin everything else in our life in orbit? Or are you like me? And you just feel tugged continually in a thousand 
different directions. Your mind is always kind of moving and going around to your to-do lists or what's next on your schedule. And days just are over. You're just like, wow, the day's over. What happened this morning? I already forgot. And I'm here tomorrow morning. I'm back and it's just going and it's going and it's going, right? Is it just me? Is that, is that just me? Some of you are nodding your head, right? This is the pace of today. And as followers of Jesus, sometimes it's like you feel like multiple days go by and you're like, oh man, like, I really haven't stopped to pray or like talk to Jesus much in like two days. Like what happened? I don't even remember what happened yesterday. Like what, what is going on? I feel like that sometimes life controls us, okay? Like the pace of modern times controls us. And I'm worried that our, our, our call to follow Jesus has suffered, that it's like a bit malnutritioned. Okay, he's more like that, you know, an addition to our life or like if things get really in crisis, we go to Jesus, but then when the pace picks up, picks back up, you know, we, we resurface again on Sunday and we're like, oh, I'm here. I'm, I don't know what happened last week, but I'm here. Like, there's more, there's more there for us as followers of Jesus. There's more life available to us right? There's so much more joy and fullness of life available to us than just riding on this constant anxious speed of light kind of coattails of our culture. So following Jesus will always still remain the answer, okay? At its core, that's what we are about as a church. So let's go back in time, if you will, to uh, about 2,000 years ago. And let's, let's go to the very beginning. What did it mean to follow Jesus at the very beginning, okay? <clears throat> So 2,000 years ago, we've talked somewhat about this in the past, right? You're in this little bitty strip of land that already has a lot of history attached to it. We know it today as, as Israel. It's gone by various names around history. But in, the, in this day, 2,000 years ago, Rome was the ruler, okay? This was like the eastern outskirts of the Roman Empire, but nevertheless, Rome ruled. It was a time of peace in the Roman Empire that stretched all the way from Europe, North Africa, all the way to the land of Israel, of Judea. And 2,000 years ago, you would have been a young Jewish person living in this land, okay? So if you had an interest in schooling in these days, okay, if you wanted to, you know, go and, and, and be educated and kind of travel up that ladder, if you will, um, there was a culture that was inherited. It kind of started with the Greeks and beyond, um, but the idea would be you would study beneath a master, okay? Think of like Plato studying beneath Socrates, and then Plato tutoring Aristotle, then Alexander the Great being tutored by Aristotle, and that was the process, okay? You had a master, and you had their disciples. You had their followers, and they would be trained up in such a way that once the master considered that they were ready, they would then go and start their own quote-unquote little schools, their own little followings of people, okay, that would then follow them around. The goal of all of this was to take on a deep likeness of the master you were beneath, okay? This is a 24-7 kind of schooling. You didn't get to like show up like on Monday and 7.30 after breakfast, be like, oh, the day's over at three, all right, see ya. Like, no, like, you were with your master, wherever he slept, you slept, whatever he ate, you ate, wherever he went, you went for an extended period of time. This was a, a true, like, your life was following him around, okay? Um, the, the, 
the language of disciples, methetai, that was kind of the, the, the term for this, the Greek term for this. Um, it was not a, you know, today the spirit of the age is like, be yourself, be your authentic self. And 2,000 years ago, they'd be like, no, you literally breathe like your master, okay? Like you move like him, you talk like him. Like there is no be yourself, it's you be like him. Okay, that was kind of the idea of the training that would go beneath in this school. This was common, okay? John the Baptist had his disciples, various other, you know, teachers in Israel of the day had their disciples. This was a common kind of path, okay, of schooling in these days of the Romans and et cetera and so forth. But um, if you were alive in, you know, the land of Israel 2,000 years ago, there was one in particular you would have been hearing about, especially in the northern kind of regions, okay? Because um, this one's interesting because this leader would have been, if you grew up in that area, wasn't heavily, heavily populated, but if you grew up in the northern regions around Galilee and around Nazareth, you would have known the families around and you would have interacted with this guy whose father was a carpenter who you started hearing stories about that was performing healings like people would be like sick or like paralyzed or and they would be brought to him and come back not paralyzed not blind and you would hear these stories be like say what like this is that's crazy all right and you would hear that his teaching was just there's nobody else to talk like this guy nobody spoke and you hear like it's Jesus like I, I saw him for years just like swinging a hammer like what is going on it was interesting, right? Nothing like this has really happened before. And this Jesus guy, he was preaching a consistent message saying the kingdom of heaven, if you're reading the Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. This is a consistent message. Repent and believe the good news. All right. So this is a very interesting situation to hear. He starts gathering his own school. Okay, as we want to talk, as we may think about that. His own disciples, his own followers. He sees Simon Peter. We have some slides here. And his brother Andrew fishing. This is how Matthew says it. This is very early on, Matthew chapter 4. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Come, follow me. That was a first call. I want to say that that call is still being spoken to us today, okay? That was how it all began. This is, the, this is our origin story, guys. This is like kind of the origin story here. Come follow me to these two fishermen that were out on the lake. He continues to call pupils and students to his side, right? Um, in this day, as we said, this isn't, he didn't say, come, I'll make you Christians. Like, that's always the language early on, right? It was this disciple language that was used, okay? Um, in the Great Commission, this, if you've been to church for some period of time, you, you're familiar with this, Matthew 28. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus, commanded you, right? So through his resurrection, I can go on all day here, but through his resurrection, Jesus showed that he wasn't just your normal itinerant teacher who gathered some pupils who was really good at teaching and maybe performing tricks, 
okay? Because that was kind of up for grabs at the, res- at, the, at the crucifixion, okay? This guy that was talking about the kingdom of God is showing up and healing people, and then he's dead, and it's like, oh, there's another, you know, religious zealot who was just gathering a school and trying to make up a new religion. Like, that was not also that uncommon, and people thought, man, we were suckers again. That stinks. Boom, he's back from the dead. No, you're not a sucker, actually. Peter said that he was made both Lord and Christ upon his resurrection, not that he became Lord through the resurrection, but the idea was that it was proven and shown once and for all this guy was no joke. The tomb was sealed. The Romans were expert executioners, okay? They were deeply trained in how to kill people on the cross. They don't screw this job up. And for this story to come out that somebody, these professional executors, literally stabbed in the side and the lifeless body of Christ still hung there, was somehow alive again, was either a ridiculously made-up story that makes no sense at all, or it really happened. And this was the early story of our church, right? So after this, okay, Um, We have in Acts chapter 1, he's alive, he's talking to his disciples, okay, and there's there's about 120 or so followers of Jesus left, okay, after his resurrection that are really kind of with him. This is what he says in Acts chapter 1. He says, this this is Luke talking, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what did he speak about? The kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating, he gave him this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, that's John the Baptist, well, he wasn't a Baptist, but John the one who baptized, okay? John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, these disciples had been with Jesus in and out for three years, okay? 12 or 11 of them at this point have been with him for night and day for three years. Some have come beside him later on in different periods of that time, but they have been tracking with him as followers in that system we've been talking about for that length of time, okay? And now Jesus, he says, you gotta wait, there's more to come. I'm heading back up to the Father, okay? He ascends back to heaven that indeed did wait for the Spirit to come, giving them power and new life to go and make new followers, to go and make disciples of Jesus. They began engaging in the same kinds of things that he did. They began engaging in things like healing people and demons were cast out. They preached the same message about the kingdom of God. They were also calling people to repent of their sins. And the word repent literally just has, it means like a, like a change of mind. Like here's one way that I thought about my life And Jesus is saying, no, change it. There's a whole new way of thinking, a whole new life that's being offered to you when you repent and turn from your sin. Repent, turn, take on this new entire way of thinking about your life. The early disciples were empowered to go and do the very things that Jesus did and preach the very same message that he preached, continuing their path of being followers of Jesus. So early on, I'm going to stop and kind of pause. I skipped a lot of things, but that's okay. I want to pause and kind of summarize the things I'm talking about. And I want to just say, you know, a lot of the things I'm sharing this morning are not coming from me. Um, I, I, some of the best things I say, I steal from other people. 
who, uh, you know, come up with better things than me, and I, I myself feel like I'm always trying to learn. So, sorry, this is, a, this is kind of a stolen sermon from like five different sources. I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of true. Whatever, I don't know. But anyway, um, we're going to, to, to walk through this. Um, in, in Acts chapter 4, these early, we're going to kind of look at the story here. But there's really three things, and this really is from um, a really... Uh, interesting insight into um, this, what it means to be followers of Jesus. Let me look at how all of this is set up here. There's three things I really know, three things that are important. These early followers of Jesus, they were people known for being with Jesus. All right, important thing. They were people known for being with Jesus. In Acts chapter four, okay, Peter and John, they healed this guy who couldn't walk. 40 years plus old, paralyzed. The whole city of Jerusalem knew this guy was always begging for alms. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get a job. There was no Medicaid in those days, right? This was rough goings for the guy who was paralyzed. He was plus 40 years old, and he's walking now, okay? It's hard to read these stories in the, gospel, in the, in the book of Acts or the Gospels and really like go back in time. Like, just imagine that, this guy at 40 plus years old is now walking, who for decades you saw him not walking, okay? And um, as this happens, <clears throat> okay, Peter and John, now full of the Spirit of God, right? Um, uh, they start preaching to the crowds that are gathered, saying, what is going on? This is crazy. And they say, basically, they're like, let me tell you about Jesus, because this is what's going on, right? The kingdom of God is coming. A glimpse of heaven, of shalom, is entering and breaking into earth where that there's good news being preached. There's a forgiveness of sins. There's new life available. There's, there's the life of heaven is now in breaking into this world. And God wants you to join by turning from your sins and entering this time of refreshing and taking on Jesus as your Lord and your Messiah and to receive the same spirit that we received and to experience the same eternal life that we have also received. And they're preaching this good news of the kingdom to this crowd and the religious people, the religious Sanhedrin, they're like, uh-uh, I thought we killed this Jesus guy. And here's this all happening all over again. What's going on? So they arrest him. They throw him up, right, in prison. They start talking the same kind of message to the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 4, 13, this is where it gets really instructive for us. Okay, these early Jesus followers, they're giving testimony to what they've seen, the resurrection, the power of God. This is what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, these early disciples, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, because normally, you know, if you were a part of these kind of prestigious schoolings, your, your teacher rabbi wasn't a Joe Schmo from Nazareth who was a carpenter, and you probably were in some kind of religious family who were some kind of elitist who trained you up with the best of the best of the best, who were trained by the best of the best. You know, Jesus is kind of like a Ma and Paul version of this. Nobody heard of him, right? And these guys were fishermen. Nobody heard of them, okay? But they're doing amazing things as if they were deeply schooled like the best of the best, but they were they were actually unschooled according to those systems of the day, right? And they saw this. They were ordinary men. They were astonished. That's what it says. And they took note, what? That these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. They were not people who identified as Jesus followers, were only seen with them, huh, you know, once or twice. 
one day a week, you know, the weekends when I wasn't working, I went and, you know, maybe listen, and they were with him. Meaning when they remembered, when Jesus walked around, they remember these two guys were walking with him. They were with Jesus. They were known for being with Jesus. Jesus' followers are with Jesus. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Secondly, as the story illustrates, the early Jesus' followers began doing the things Jesus did and saying the same things Jesus did, right? The preaching, the message, the call of repentance of sin, right? The power of God showing up in their lives, just as Peter and John were doing. But Jesus was also found, as we heard last week, right, consistently eating and drinking with people, hanging out with sinners, spending time in the the realms of hospitality continually. Jesus was always kind of doing that. And really, these early Jesus followers began gathering together. It was like Jesus' ministry 2.0, all right? As any good disciple would do, they were carrying on the same kinds of things, the same way of life that their master did while he walked this earth, right? Look at this in Acts 2.42, okay? You might be familiar with these things, but this is what characterized them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, of bread and to prayer. These are things Jesus did. He taught. He was in community with these people. He broke bread with them. He prayed with his disciples. Everyone was filled with awe, as many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All these believers were together and had everything in common, right? When they followed Jesus around for three years, they were itinerant. They, were, they, were, they had a shared pot. Right? They lived together. Their life was together. These early disciples the same thing was happening. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This wasn't like a a plague thing for them, right? It wasn't like a religious thing that they just kind of did because it was something they felt like they should do. Like they're sincerely like engaging this new way of life that Jesus, uh, followers, do. They were praising God, they were worshiping, they were enjoying the favor of the people. And what, the, what the result was that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were making disciples, new followers. They were engaging in this new way of life. It sounds a lot like Jesus' ministry, right? Eating food together, teaching, generosity, the power of God found among them, praying, which leads us to our third point. These early Jesus followers were living like Jesus. In fact, the early reference in the book of Acts to what we now universally refer to um, as Christianity, right? We call it Christianity, the Christian church, etc. You might know what the first reference was to this, this group of followers of Jesus. You might know. It was called The Way, like capital W, The Way. It's mentioned that way numerous times in the book of Acts. As Paul was arrested and on trial before Felix, um, in Acts 24, 14, he actually says this. He says, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors. That is the Hebrew God. I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect, right? Their sole understanding. What is this group of people following this Jesus guy? They called it the way because it was a new way of life, right? 
It was something that encompassed all of them. It was a new way of life. Following Jesus was more than simply taking on a new religious routine in their day-to-day life. It was a new way of life, a new way of thinking about themselves. It was looking at how Jesus lived and as a good disciple would do, ensuring and aiming and praying that you and your life would just, would, would mimic Jesus' own life. That when you interacted with people, you'll be interacting with people just like Jesus did. So we're, we're going to break these down here um, and go deeper and more like application. Nerdiness is over. All right, you guys with me? Anybody fall asleep? Maybe you did. Oh no, that's okay. We're going to get like in the application phase here, okay? To take that portrait I just drew, the early Christian church, our origin story, okay? It's Jesus followers, because all these things are still like applicable for us today. Okay, let's get into this. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Number one, Does being with Jesus characterize your life today? Does being with Jesus characterize your life today? So maybe you have an obvious question. How do you be with someone who left earth 2,000 years ago, um, whose physical feet, you know, have not like stepped here? Like one day they will, he'll return, but it hasn't happened yet. What do we mean by with Jesus, okay? Well, this is why the Spirit was given after he ascended, right? Because now the Spirit of God is the abiding presence of God in our life. Jesus asked his disciples before he left the world, there was a a common phrase that he said over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. It was to remain in him. If you have the ESV or the translations, the word abide is used. This is just one little example from John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. It's just phrases repeated over and over again. It's, it's an interesting phrase, and elsewhere it's used in the New Testament in reference to like staying in a location. Like in Acts 28, 16, Paul stayed in his house arrest, staying in the house, same word is used. He's in the house. It's location, you're somewhere. It also can be used kind of in reference to, to something you're staying in continually. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul urges Timothy to continue in or remain in his faith. Like when you, he said, Timothy, you have your faith in God. Remain in it. Continue in it. Abide in it. That's how the word, it's like an active abiding. It's an active continuing kind of, but you're also like in a place of like stillness. Like you're there right? You're maintaining where you are, and Jesus is saying, be with me as I am with you. I am the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected to me, because apart from me, you can't do anything. That's the beautiful analogy, right, of the vine. I pretend to garden, often failing. Right now, everything is just growing with black and rot. It's beautiful, and I kind of gave up this year, but that's okay. I don't have time. I had a huge watermelon, it turned black. I'm like, come on now. But anyway, I have some vines like growing all over the ground and I'm weed eating. And yeah, sometimes I'm like, I'd snap one of those vines. If there's any fruit on the other end of that vine, it's done, right? I just killed it because the vine is now officially separated from the plant. Jesus is saying, don't do that, <laughs> right? 
this life that, of being a follower of me is just about being connected. And he said, I'm sending in a helper to you to do this because I know you. You're a human being. You're a, a fallen human being. You can't do this without help. So the helper is coming, the Holy Spirit, who's going to be with you. So listen, this is kind of how it is, okay? God's presence is with us. The matter that we're talking about being with him is cultivating an awareness of the presence of God in your own life. Are you doing that? Are you intentionally trying to cultivate the awareness that God is with me? We don't need to ask God to be with us, right? If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is with you. Are you aware of it? I think that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? We have to cultivate that. It doesn't just happen naturally. Um, and so this is when, again, another 2,000-year history here, biblical, rooted in the Scriptures, things called the spiritual disciplines, right? Christians have been practicing these things for thousands of years. Things like prayer, fasting, community, taking Sabbath. That's, I'm, I'm, before I preach on that, I gotta start doing that myself, and that's the conversation in my house right now, so whenever I figure that out, I'll maybe preach on that. It's hard, it's true Sabbath, anyway. Bible reading, studying alone the scriptures and studying the scriptures in community, stillness before God, these are the things that we have to practice in our life. If we are, they aren't things that's like, oh, I guess, you know, I'm a Christian, so I should be doing, I should pray. Like, no. Like, you're cultivating, like, eyes to see God and ears to hear God by sitting and stopping and saying, Lord, speak to me. I'm going to open this thing up. Like, I'm with you right now. I'm trying to block everything else out. I need you. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen without intentionality. Are you cultivating a with Jesusness in your life? Do we take seriously his words that I am with you even until the end of the age? Do you take that seriously? If so, your life should be permeated with a witness in Jesus, right? It should be something that characterizes your life, okay? Don't let life just zoom by you at the speed of life and carry you on kind of those cultural waves of living at a thousand miles an hour full of all the anxiety and lifelessness and self-sitterness that all of that has to offer today. Cultivate your awareness of the presence of God in your own life. Leading us to number two, does being like Jesus describe your life. These are the core things of being a Jesus follower, friends. Does being like Jesus describe your life? To use the language of Paul, okay, being like Jesus is like putting on new clothing, okay? You take off your old clothes that smells like you and looks like you and they're dirty and they're nasty, and you put on Jesus clothes, okay? Or remember, go back to our, anal not our analogy, or the reality of a follower of Jesus they walk and they talk and they breathe and they look like their master. If Jesus is your master, put on his clothing. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Did I put clothe yourself? Sorry. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. 
Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues put on love, which bind them all together in perfect harmony. Are you a kind and gentle presence in the lives of others? Or are you one of those kind of brash people, just say it how it is, person with no regard to the people that you're talking to? Our culture loves those kind of people, right? Always oh, just keeping it real. It's like, yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily the Jesus way. There might be a hard truth that requires just a brashness, just to say it, and you need discernment to do that, right? But Jesus was known as gentle, as truthful, and very honest, but kind, right? Does this characterize you? Do you talk more about yourself than anyone else in your conversations? Does your use and spending of your money reflect the Jesus way of life? With food and clothing, we shall be content. Or does it reflect the extreme materialism that is indeed touted today as, a, as the way of life of our day? With all these promises of happiness, if you have more, and all these things of, you know, if you got to really just experience life, you got to do these things you can't afford and buy this stuff that you don't really need with money you don't actually have. Accumulating the stress of debt and the anxiety that comes from that, robbing you of your chance to even be generous if an opportunity even arose. Guaranteed that some of you in this room, guaranteed that some of you in this room, is that life-giving for you, to be wrapped up in the materialism of the age, right? That's not the Jesus way of life, right? Number three, finally do the things that Jesus did. Do the things he said and do the things he did. We'll talk a little more about this next week, about mission, about calling to be ambassadors for Jesus, right? We are called to share his love and good news with our neighbors. That's next week's sermon, right? He preached the good news. He ministered to people, right? He had compassion, deep compassion on people, right? Do you engage in the same things that Jesus engaged in? Do you share the gospel regularly just like Jesus did, right? If there's someone in sick, if it's a neighbor, someone in our church, we should go and pray for them as the scriptures command us. If someone is lost and wayward, our lives should become expendable for the sake of that person as we chase after them, right, as Jesus calls us to do. We become people of the good news, preaching its message, but also living its message and validation to show, right, that we don't just believe mentally of the good news that we're preaching, but it has permeated our lives, and people get to see the good news through our lives as we interact with them as a Jesus follower, Jesus lived the life he had in heaven on this earth and opened up the possibility for this world to receive a glimpse of heaven on earth through you, his people. The shalom that is there is breaking, still breaking into this world. The love that is there, the compassion that is there, the healing that is there. Open up your table, your home like Jesus. Pray for the Spirit of God to show up through supernatural means that the very reality of heaven and the power of God, like those early Jesus followers, will be carried around with you wherever you go. I could keep going. This is kind of a summary sermon. It could be many more sermons kind of smashed into one. But here's my whole point this morning, okay? Here's my whole point. 
um, not to beat you up and say nobody's doing these things. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to go to the core and say if we're about anything else as a church, if we're about anything else that's not about being followers of Jesus, I mean, that is strip everything away. If somebody said, what is this whole Christianity thing about? It's about following Jesus. That's at its core. If this church is about anything else, if our mission as a church is, gets distracted and it winds up being about anything else that's not about following Jesus, we're going to experience spiritual rot at the core that eventually, right, will lead to things that will not be pleasant, right? It goes for any church in this nation, right? Here's a good analogy. I had a 150-year-old maple tree that was just cut down in my front yard. It was big, it was beautiful, pretty, gnarly looking. It was cool. It kept dropping massive branches. We live kind of on a busy street. And one day, like, it almost hit a car. I'm like, all right, I got to be done with this tree. It looks cool. It looks healthy on the outside, right? But as they were cutting branches down, these big branches kept falling. The same thing I kept seeing. Beautiful, you know, uh, uh, bark on the outside. It's really cool looking. Look in the middle of the log, what did you find? Just dark brown, black, some of it even squishy, right? It looked great on the outside, but the inside, bleh, didn't look good. The whole tree was destined to just keep falling apart, right? My message to you this morning as we talk about the mission of our church, we are about being followers of Jesus and making followers of Jesus. Any other message here? will lead to a slow bit of rot that will continue to permeate over the course of time and, and make this church. It may, it may you, know, you know, pump it up. It may like grow and look great. But I don't know if you like keep pumping a balloon. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I've seen churches do this, right? That they can, can, can make things and avenues of growth in their church about other things. And it kind of gets bigger and bigger. It's like, oh, it's great. And then kaboom, right? Things happen. This is a natural thing. I've seen it happen many times in my life. We're about being followers of Jesus, being with him as a church, being like Jesus as a church and engaging in the very things that he said and that he did. In our small groups, we want to be with Jesus together. We want to fast together and pray together and, and, and be compassionate for one another and do that to be with Jesus together, right? I want, when you're in my house and you leave, I want the fragrance of Christ to stay, linger, because your presence was in my house. I just felt the Spirit of God there because you were there. Be like Jesus, right? In our community, I want them to know us as a group of Jesus followers who did, who did the things that he said and engaged in the same kinds of ministry that he did while he walked this earth. That's it. I hope that's a simple message for you this morning. Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what he said and did. We're about to engage in communion here um, right now, and uh, I kind of want to briefly say two things. We're going to have communion, and then we have ministry time after that. People available for prayer, um, if you need prayer, to come forward. Um, communion, uh, Joel will intro us. I'm not going to intro us in communion, but it is, um, it is a response time, right? If you need communion, you know, uh, Raise your hands, we can get you communion. So it's a time of response, right? Um, followed up by a, an actual time of responding in, in prayer, right? So, for example, this morning, if, if you are, um, it can be as simple as 
Do you have headaches this morning? Your body and aches is just really interfering with your life. It's perfectly great to walk up and say, can you just pray for me? I'm feeling super beat up this morning from physical pain. Um, some of you in this room just may have walked in just like sad and just lonely feeling. And you just can't shake it. Maybe the word depressed can be thrown out there, right? And you just need to be ministered to this morning. This is a time in our service to where we ask you to come forward after communion to be ministered to, to not walk out and let that not happen. And if you're here in this room and you're not a Jesus follower, I've been talking about this the whole time. If you're not a Jesus follower, you can do that. Like today, this morning, you can simply just walk up and say, I want to be a Jesus follower. And I'll share the same thing that the apostles, the early Jesus followers shared. It begins with repentance of sin. It begins with saying, I I want him as my master. I want to give my life to him. I want to turn from my sin. It all begins there. And he will give you his Holy Spirit. He will give you his new life. That's available to you this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then Joel's going to come up. He's going to lead us in communion. Um, Jesus, I pray that this kind of just reminder of these basics, Lord, would spur us on as a church just to know what we're about, to really just have our, our focus where it needs to be as a church. Lord, I ask if we ever become about anything else that's not following Jesus, we can be. It can totally happen, Lord. And I'm sure it will, Lord. Uh, Lord, at some point we'll have to repent of this and turn from it, Lord. If, if we become about anything else that's not about following Jesus, if we become obsessed with just church growth, become obsessed with this or whatever it might be, Lord, give us a sensitivity to always make the main thing be the main thing here. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that needs to be ministered to this morning, that have heard these things and just wants to engage their their discipleship of following Jesus, just on another serious level, that those spiritual disciplines are things that they're just craving and yearning for, that they feel stuck in their walk with Christ, and they just don't really know what to do. They just feel like there's so many things that they don't want in their life. They just want more of you. Lord, I pray that they will come forward this morning after communion, and even during communion, you would meet them, God, in a unique and special, powerful way for anybody in this room that that wants to be a Jesus follower, that you would give them the courage this morning to come forward and just begin to have that conversation, Lord, that even today could be the time when they turn from their sins and they take you on as their master and they become your follower, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your wonderful and holy name. Amen.